Welcome to the Talk and Shed Podcast with your host, Adam Finnick, where we talk all things farm equipment. Tune in as we interview farmers, industry leaders, and talk about our own dealership story. Follow along as we talk about topics like cover crops, nutrient placement, and things that make your farm and every farm across the country different. You're listening to the Talk and Shed Podcast, and thank you for tuning in. Hey guys, Adam Fennig here, and uh, you're tuned into another episode of the Talk and Shed Podcast. This one we're doing right here at our shop, and uh, this morning we've got a guest from Capstan Ag. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hello, my name's uh, Mike Swigman from Capstan Ag, as he said. Been uh, working with the company for, since 2015. Previous to that, I was with Hagee. Awesome. And uh, where did you come from this morning? I came from southeastern Indiana down in uh, around Oldenburg, Indiana, um, a little bit bigger, Batesville or Brookville, but a uh, small little town. We live out in the country on about 130 acres. Okay. That was what, an uh, hour and a half drive, maybe two? Two hours. Two hours. Yeah. Two. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate you making the trip up. I think it'll be a great podcast today. No worries. So, um, yeah, today we're going to talk all things Capstan. Um, we're going to talk about yourself, obviously. Um, I got my feet wet uh, with Capstan mainly from Tim Grisby. Um, he's our local guy. And uh, we just recently did an anhydrous kit on a toolbar that Tim uh, helped set up and everything. And, and I think they've got some pretty unique products. And so I wanted to bring... Uh, you in talk about capstan and and how they can benefit the farmer so let's jump in and talk about what capstan ag does and who they are where they're from sure so uh topeka kansas is where capstan's headquarters is at we have representation all over the united states with field marketers tim grisby is one of those people that is a field field rep for us we um started about over 25 years ago be by creating a pressure control system better known as uh, aim command on a case sprayer then um, basically what it does is is that we tie that into any rate controller and we can control pressure on a sprayer independent from rate so like if let's just say you want to go back to old school spraying of speed and pressure Mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know how to do that anymore unfortunately but uh, what we can do is is that if to be honest with you you could throw all the technology away okay and just if you wanted to spray five miles an hour and hit your rate and never change your speed you don't need any monitor you don't need anything you could just go spray right but the reality of that is is that that's not reality yeah we can't spray five miles an hour and cover the ground we need to cover so um along came a rate controller when you would select the speed a rate controller worked pretty nice because you could do you know small changes and still be able to achieve your rate and that you wanted to be able to get your coverage that we needed to get down right but then along came a hydrostat NRA controller which now created very very quick speed changes so now you have that very bigger speed window that you can run in and it's with a standard rate controller doesn't necessarily meet all those requirements anymore because as you increase your speed you need more pump flow you need more pressure yep so then that's when capstan came along to help control that pressure independent from rates so and now your coverage doesn't have to fault when you slow down or go too fast. I see. And so that's one of the products that kind of got them started? Oh, yes. Yeah, so it, sharp, it started out a sharpshooter and an aim command was kind of the same thing. Then uh, along came, you know, great engineers sitting around talking and they decided to come out with the individual nozzle control. Yep. So that became Pinpoint. 
yep. uh, individual nozzle control basically was able to um, shut off individual nozzles based upon a coverage map, but then also have turn compensation by nozzles. You're going around a corner. And then um, Pinpoint 2 came along a couple years ago, which allowed you to pull in boundaries and be able to shut off nozzles based upon a shape file as you're going in and out of waterways or sure. whatever it may be. So um, sprayer application control was a big focus of Capsan for a long time. Yes, very long and, time. And still is today. Mm -hmm. But you're also jumping into anhydrous and liquid control as well. Our anhydrous system's been out for quite a few years. Um, we've actually, that's probably been out for 15 years itself. Okay. Um, we, our anhydrous system is, the whole manifold is, is everything. It's the, the cooler, it's the um, flow meter, it's also the standard control valve. But each, different from a typical anhydrous system, where you have a center manifold that's distributing that product out to your each individual rows. Yeah. This is, each row is individually metered, so our... COV our variance from row to row is a lot less because we're not hoping that all 16 are flowing equally. Sure. And then you can accompany that anhydrous system over with pinpoint. So now you can have pinpoint drive it and then you can um, be able to get down to the individual row shutoff and also have turn compensation and nozzle diagnostics in the cab. Nice. So today you could describe Capstan as kind of uh, complete rate control whether it's sprayer, liquid, and hydrous. Yep, liquid application pretty much is what we are based upon. Sure. Um, we are now dabbling in um, what we call Swath Pro, which is going on some planes. Um, okay. We're working on some orchard products. Yep. Um, we have also got um, Select Shot for inferro application for planters. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then we also have a uh, liquid fertilizer system for 28 as well. Sure. And what is that? So that's called LS, which is just liquid system fertilizer, or LF, sorry, liquid fertilizer system. Yep. Um, that can also be accompanied with Pinpoint as well to have individual row shut off if you want to. So that is basically what it gives you is a bigger speed range to run in. So by us pulsing, when you slow down, we can change how long we're open in time. And then that way when you speed up, we can be open longer. So that way you have a bigger rate window to run in if you want to do variable rating. Okay. Or you have a bigger speed range to run in if you're doing, <clears throat> excuse me, big speed changes. Sure. So um, basically if a guy has a liquid applicator or some sort, he can use the LF system to be a total rate control? Well, you still have to have a rate controller to tell us what to do. Okay. We're just piggybacked in there to help <clears throat> make that uh, rate controller more efficient. Got it. Got it. So, you know, at Fennig Equipment, we do a lot with application, you know, uh, planter, fertilizer, side dress, um, anhydrous. What makes Capstan different, do you think, versus, uh, you know, of course, there's a, a bunch of different rate control specialists out there. What kind of sets Capstan apart, in your opinion? Being an innovative leader, leader of innovation, basically. I mean, I feel that we've always been in the top edge. You took, you know, it, Capstan started with sprayer technology and with that sort of stuff tw over 25 years ago. And we didn't really have a whole lot of competition until five years ago. So for 20 years, you know, we were trying to prove our concept. Right. And all of a sudden it took off. And now there's John Deere Exact Apply, there's Raven Hawkeye, there's T-Jet's got a system. Um, so now there's a lot of competitors out there that's doing the similar thing as what Capstan was doing, you know, for the last 25 years. 
So you look at some of these other innovative products that we're coming out with that it's a slow pickup sometimes. I feel that, you know, right. that's, that's kind of what, that's what keeps Capstan separate from everybody else is that we're always trying to think ahead. Right. Yeah. You know, I've done a, a few things with Capstan and it always seems that the products are definitely a little different. You know, you've got your, your stamped out rate controllers, you've got your red ball systems, but the Capstan stuff's a little bit different. There's nothing out there like it, in my opinion. We like to make you change the way you think. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what we do. You know, you look at uh, a nozzles, for instance, you know, for sprayers. You typically spray with the number six tip, put on 15 gallons of the acre at 10, 12 miles an hour. When you put on a Capstan system, you're probably going to up it to a number eight or number 10 tip because you're going to run a bigger orifice since we can control that pressure independently. Right. It, it just changes the way we do things. I see. I see. Um, what, uh, you know, how, how has the fertilizer game this year over the last 12 months changed Capstan? I know for us, it's it's kept us extremely busy. Guys are changing what they're doing with fertilizer, but what are you seeing? Seeing the same thing. I mean, everybody's changing kind of what they're doing, um, especially with Infro or they're getting away from it, adding it to it, changing just a complete changeover. We have... A supply issue um even the guys down south that's already you know, that were fortunate enough to plant already this spring um i have a couple customers that have done that but uh they're complaining a lot of dirty fertilizer people sucking out of the bottom of the tanks you'd be expected to clean a lot more filters this year because they're just pulling out of whatever product they can get their hands on sure yeah i know uh for us, not only is it, you know, a guy that maybe used to be dry, now he's anhydrous or anhydrous going to liquid just because of cost and availability in certain locations, but we're seeing uh, guys paying more attention to accuracy and, and wanting to um, step up their game when it comes to row by row or um, automatic section control. Um, I'm guessing you're seeing the same thing there too. For sure. I mean, you, you you go back in time. I mean, you see a lot of growers when it comes to fertilizers. They're just out there. One of the most expensive products that they put on their crop and the most important, they just throw out there and hope that it works out well. Whether if it's a broadcast spreader, whether if it's a ground-driven piston pump, they work well. Um, but your accuracy, your efficiency may not be as good as what you can get with a centrifugal pump driving, being driven by a rate controller or whatever it may be. Um, I, there's a lot of that I think is starting to get some more emphasis put on changing that around to become more accurate and more efficient with your fertilizers because of that. Yeah. And yeah. other products too. I mean, you know, you got biologicals, you have um, insecticides, you have just different products out there now that people are starting to put in furrow that yes. are making a big difference in things. Yeah. And, you know, doing planter fertilizer installs, that's, I sent two guys out. Uh, this morning to go start on one. I'm going to catch up with them later today. Um, that's a two by two deal, but we've done a lot of inferos and I always get the question and maybe you have the answer. Maybe you don't, but, um, when it comes to inferro, what do you like to see in there and what do you think makes a difference? So with the studies that we've done, as far as our select shot system, um, our, the select shot system was designed to keep a fertilizer off of the seed and to put a shot of product in between each seed. That's what it was originally designed for. Okay. And even with the seed safe products, they have 624.6 or even a 1034.0, which is considered seed safe. 
um, we've actually seen where by keeping it off of the seed in those instances that the um, emergence has improved. Why is that? I, I got my theory. My theory is, is that if you deliver that product with a piston pump, just the way a piston pump works, it pulls, you know, a bunch of product in like a syringe and then you force it all out with the piston comes up. So you're going to have very highs and lows as you're going through the field. Well, even 1034 row, too much of an inferno can cause germination problems. Right. So if you get a big shot right at those couple seeds and then it fizzles out, it dribbles out, that's what a dribble system is, then that could be what's causing that. But in furrows, I would say that uh, with the products we're seeing, people starting to transfer over to some orthophosphate um, or they're running into some biologicals or they're adding different products in there as far as insecticides. And I, I don't know all the different formulations that people are all using, but it's definitely not just fertilizer anymore. Right. Yeah. It's people are getting very creative with what they're putting in furrow. And uh, I, I see a lot of that all the time. And I know guys who never put anything in furrow for 20 years and all of a sudden, you know, they up and, and put stuff in furrow. And I don't know. I think it depends a lot on your soil, what your program is because no two farms are the same. And so, um, I've got a few guys that are doing some tests this year, running a 24 row planter and doing in furrow on 12. So, um, I know uh, there's been a ton of studies done, um, and they're all different, which is what makes them tricky to follow. But, um, I would even go a step further. See, each field is different, right? You know, not just a farm. I mean, you get to different scenarios, and um, every field's different. Every field's got different stuff. It's just, yeah. There's definitely, I think, a future in agriculture that's going to go to, let's give each seed what it needs, instead of building a profile up in this field. Let's go ahead and feed it now, and not worry about next year because as you're renting ground that's not guaranteed right so let's feed what we have out there this year and then we can worry about feeding what we have next year next year right take care of it on a seed by seed basis instead of an 80 acre square yep. basis yeah i can definitely see that i mean everything is getting more precise and and when when you have the technology to do stuff like that and it's getting utilized more and more every year uh, there's no question it can be done um, it just takes a lot of time and management. Um, so here in Ohio right now, we've been awfully wet. A year ago, we, we had beans in the ground, no question. Down south, you get south of 70, and, and I always say that 70 is the border. I mean, you cross on, on the southern side of 70, it's like walking into Florida. It's always 10 degrees warmer, and, and things happen faster down there. So what's it like down there? I know you're not super far down there, but you probably deal with people down there. Are guys kind of scrambling, or what are they thinking yet? Not scrambling. I wouldn't say we're to that point yet. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, since I do cover such a big geographic area for Capstan, um, it's not just Indiana and Ohio. There's nothing done in Kentucky, Tennessee, um, really northern Alabama. Um, the only growers that I know of that's really got a lot done as far as percentage-wise for corn and beans is down in this coastal areas of Alabama, Mississippi, okay. and Texas. I mean, there's unfortunately, there's not a whole lot done really, um, very minimal from middle of Alabama north, Yeah, um, which is very odd for this time of year. Right. Um, I think that you're going to see a shotgun spring. I think you're going to be yeah. able to see more seeds going on ground in, in a two-week period. When that two-week period is, I don't know. Right. But, uh, you know, we got 30-degree weather coming next week up here. 
for me. And it's, you know, I live where I live at down there, in between Cincinnati and Indianapolis. It's, um, you know, it's, it's not normal. Right. Um, I think you're going to see everybody scrambling and cross your fingers that everything works. I agree. And, uh, I think we're going to see the same thing and it, it's fine because the guys are going to get it done. There's no question. And, and, you know, it isn't quite in scramble mode yet. Um, but like for us, we've got a lot of tillage demos we would like to do. You know, those always take time. And whenever you get crunched, those kind of get pushed to the side pretty quick. So on the service side and tillage demo side, it's going to get a little hairy, I would imagine. But that's just what it is. Um, you mentioned since you cover such a large territory, refresh me again. What is your territory? So my actual job for, for Capstan is um, a product specialist of Select Shot. And then also I cover Indy. I help out with Tim and Stuart down in Kentucky and Luke in, in Illinois just as a service rep to be able to go out when I'm around in the area. Got it. Um, I've actually been, I'm actually, um, since I'm a product specialist, I've been to, uh, worked on planers in New Zealand, Bulgaria, Ukraine, Germany, mm-hmm. and then Canada and the United States. So um, I guess my region is global if you want to look at it sure. that way. But uh, sure. Um, Definitely been trying to keep in touch with the guys in Ukraine over the past couple months. Yeah. What's going on over there. Um, last I heard, everybody was good, but they also in Kiev, and I haven't touched base with them since they invaded. So Sure. Um, but, yeah, at the end of the day, though, it's pretty much covered all of the United States for the most part. Nice. Okay. So um, being a product specialist um, for the select shot, you do see quite a few planners then, like you mentioned. I would say 75% of my job, 70 to 75% is planners. Okay. The rest of it would be sprayers or toolbars or something. So the select shot, you know, let, let's walk through that a little bit more in depth since it is something that, that you probably deal with a lot, obviously. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what that thing does. You know, for me and most guys I deal with, we're used to call it either a Keaton seed firmer or a totally tubular, running an electric pump or something to, to feed in furrow. How's the select shot different than that? So select shot is going to base a application of product whenever a seed falls. So instead of hoping that you can take essentially five gallons to the acre, you're going to, what a dribble system is, is you put a certain hole in the bottom of a five gallon bucket yep. and you're going to walk around every 30 inches and you hope that five gallon bucket lasts you 43,000, whatever it is, square feet. Right. Um, that's what a dribble system does. Select shot doesn't do that. Select shot basically what it since we do a per seed application, every time a seed falls and goes to the seed tube, we pick up that signal and we open up our valve for a certain amount of time to put a metered amount of product down for every seed. I see. So it's all based upon time. It's almost like walking behind a planter and then taking a syringe and injecting a product at every seed. Um, it's all based upon time. So when that seed falls through the tube, it passes a sensor then let's say that it takes 50 milliseconds or 50 thousandths of a second to that's for that seed to fall through the tube. So once we get that signal, we can just open up our valve based upon that time. So if we want it to be off the seed, we open it up 60 milliseconds after the seed passes that. Since it takes 50 to fall, now mm-hmm. we know it's off the seed. Mm-hmm. If we want it in front, we're going to open it you know, at 25 milliseconds or 30, whatever it may be. It depends on where you want it at. I see. So as long as gravity doesn't change, or if you have a speed tube, it's delivering it at a constant speed, it's easier actually, 
then now we can guarantee our shot to open up right where we say it's going to open up. And that's what it is. It's a, it's a delivery method to, to deliver a liquid product. Okay. Um, what the interface is, is that nobody really understands yet. And we don't, I'm not going to even say that we even understand a hundred percent, but the, uh, doing a per seed basis, a per seed application, there's not a product really out there that can tell you that each seed needs to have a quarter of a milliliter or whatever it may be, you know, a half an ounce. Nobody really knows what that per seed shot application needs to be. Yeah. So our interface is done at gallons per acre. And then we take your population and do the math to figure out how many milliliters each seed's going to get. Yep. And then we open up our valve to deliver that metered amount of product every time. I see. Interesting. So if a guy's typically doing, call it four gallon an acre, you just take those four gallons divided by the number of seeds he's planting and that's ounces or however it falls out per seed. Yep. So So at 34,000 seeds. So yeah. So at 34,000 seeds and five gallons of the acre, if you do the math on that on 30 intros, um, if you do the math on that, that comes out to being about half a milliliter at each seed. I see. So if in a tip in a dribble system, you're going to put down a half of a milliliter from seed to seed. So your shot is essentially six inches because mm. that's, you know, that's your distance of your application. Sure. So if we go ahead and we keep your rate the same at five gallons to the acre, as far as your total volume you're putting out, then we're going to put that shot down and say in a three inch band instead of six. So now we're putting down that same half of a milliliter and three inches compared to six inches. So that concentration per inch just doubled. I see. So now, now you depending on the product that you're using, you kind of got to watch what you're doing there a little bit. You may have to cut your rake back some mm. of total total volume. Still keep your five gallon to the acre concentration the same, but your total volume per acre may drop down from five to say three or to two and a half or something, just to keep your concentration there. So this is a great way to potentially cut inputs to be able to. As, our goal is not to increase yield. Our goal is to maintain yield. Right by cutting uh, like, input costs yeah as total volume but still keeping your concentration at five mainly because you're not putting fertilizer in between the seed or yeah exactly in between the seed or you're keeping it off the seed right and so how is this distributed you know of course there's no ketan or totally tubes are involved here um you can actually run through uh ketans okay um you can run through a ketan you can run through a uh, total tubular um total tubular makes tubes for us actually depends on the planter okay um so we have stainless steel tubes that we offer, or if you can go through a, you know, 360 wave, you could go through um, FurrowJet from Precision Planning. Mm -hmm. um, and we just, just, we put a check valve in or a stain, on a stainless steel valve or WAD connections, whatever we need to do. And um, our math, we have to take measurements of where the outlet is coming out of, and, and we can provide that, uh, our technology in front of that, whatever your distribution is to be able to go out. And so you, probably have like a standalone rate controller or something that goes in the cab to control all of this or are we going iso or this is our our iso product okay. so um we are not a task controller as far as that goes so we don't report across the task controller side but we do pull use the vt that's in the cab as our, our, our display and uh you're able to see you know what we're doing and we do create a uh, um, csv file on our little sd card in the box if you want to take it down transfer it over to sms you can do that but um that's what we it's all it's only iso we do not have any standalone screen in the cab for this sure huh 
and uh, so a, a guy, if he's using Keaton's today, just with an electric or a ground drive, whatever type of pump, he can get the the capstan system, run it through the Keaton, have an ISO uh, system, and turn his planter into the capstan system that you have. Yep. What we would do is we would add our controller uh, to it, and then we'd be a series of harnessing, and then we'll put a valve at every row. Okay. Um, so that way each row will be individually metered. And then um, usually we run in banks of four, uh, man, four rows per on a manifold. So we'll divide your planter up kind of in little mini four-row planters in a sense. But then each row will be individually metered. And then um, you'll run a hose down to whatever your distribution point is, and away you go. So um, he would have sections of four rows, right? That section is end up, so there is no sections because since we do what the seed does, if he has individual row clutches, then we have individual row shutoff. Right. We follow the seed. Same thing for, let's say, variable rate. If you have variable rate seeding, so let's say you're putting out 30,000 population and you're putting out a quarter milliliter at every seed. So we're going to put out 30,000 quarter milliliter shots. You get to a better area of the field, your population increases to 34,000. Then now we're going to put out 34,000 quarter milliliter shots. So your rate automatically went up Got because it. we're following what the seed does. So there's no need to have a variable rate map for fertilizer if you have that for seed. So let's take it to where it remembers where it put the seed in the field because he used this system on his planter. And then let's overlay that map to a side dress applicator and do the same thing because it knows where it put the seed. So it knows where the corn plant's growing. And so we'll put the side dress fertilizer through the Y drop the same way. I don't know if we're there yet. <laughs> be a great <laughs> yeah, idea though. That would be sweet. Yeah. You know, get something that runs along the corn and it, it already did the hard work of figuring out where you put the seed. And obviously there's a plant there now. Mm -hmm. And uh, so come side dress time, we're going through there and we're just giving little shots to every corn plant. Yeah, it's definitely been a thought on my mind to do something like that. And the only rebuttal I have about to do it that way is is that nitrogen so mobile Yeah. that I don't know if it's nearly necessary to get to that, that point. I, I don't know the benefits or right. doing it or not doing it at this point in time. Right. But yeah. Yeah, it, it, it'd be interesting. So you mentioned that you prior, um, we're going to jump around everywhere here a little bit, but you used to work at Hagee. Yep. And uh, we were somewhat involved with, with what you were doing there whenever we had our cover crop seeder system on the Hagees back when Hagee was just Hagee. Let's talk about what you did at Hagee. Sure. So I started out as a service technician uh, covering Indiana and Ohio. Um, moved up within the company, I guess, and became a, a trainer and then service manager. Um, covered Indiana and Ohio and a lot of other areas in the east of the Mississippi. But uh, just worked on Hagees and helped growers and uh, decided to leave there in 2015 and came to Capstan. So you would run around, change leg bushings and all that fun stuff? Yeah, change leg bushings, um, replace tanks. Um, a few times, maybe replaced a couple pivot tubes in yeah. the middle of a cornfield. Yeah. Um, went to Portsmouth, Ohio one time, had a guy's leg that broke off in the middle of a field. So, yeah, yep. um, I've seen pictures of stuff like that before. Yeah, you name it, uh, it's... Did a lot of that stuff. Got to do, learned a lot though. Um, when it comes to control side of things and being able to read code, and you know, you you be able to get to see the backside of some stuff that you typically don't get to see. Right. As a technician for other companies, you know, you get to see a 
right? This proximity sensor needs to be activated before this next function is going to work when you're automatically folding a boom and you can pinpoint exactly what's wrong a lot easier that way instead of trying to guess. So um, definitely got to see an inside of programming and how that stuff gets done and what happens inside these magic boxes, Yeah, um, which is very eye-opening for me. Yeah. Hagee had quite the deal back then. And they still do today. But it was pretty interesting how... You know, they just had a few service techs that ran around and serviced. Um, they had so many machines out. I mean, there was a lot of stuff to cover there. Yeah, you definitely kept busy. Um, yeah. You know, and it wasn't, it, obviously, you know, you, you could get a bad taste in your mouth being a technician because all you do is fix things all the time. But, um, you know, I'd, I'd argue that Hagee makes one of the best sprayers on the market. Um, really, as far as it comes to high clearance, at that time, there was really only one competitor, and that was Miller. Yeah. Um, Miller and Hagee, I think, you know, with the front-mounted boom and being high clearance. Now there's a few other players in the market today, but, um, you know, back at that point in time, I think that was definitely one of the top manufacturers and still going forward today. Deer's keeping it pretty relatively the same and keeping that family atmosphere that they had out in Clarion, and it seems to be going pretty well for them. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, they, uh, you know, you look at the technology, you know, starting back and when I I started out at a case dealership in Rushville called Bain, which is now Bain Welker. Yeah. Um, went to AFS class for them back in 2002. Yep. Um, you look at what technology has changed from 2002 till now. I mean, that's 20 years ago. Um, kind of dated myself there, but that's okay. Yeah. The uh, But no, you look, I auto steer systems. You know, I was talking to a guy earlier this week, and uh, you look at an auto steer install guide from 2005, 2006, you give that to you know somebody today, and they'd be like, "Oh my gosh, this is you know, <laughs> you got to take lines off of your steer or your orbital motor and put in T's, and you're yeah. making all this stuff, you know, make brackets and whatever else to make this auto steer work." And um, we just come so far leaps and bounds in technology where we're at today. It's pretty amazing actually to see what we progressed to be able to come to. You know, I remember Raven's auto steer smart track system was dependent upon a linear position sensor that was tied to a steering cylinder that was held on with hose clamps <laughs> you know you, now you look at it and it's like what were we thinking tying a sensor up with hose clamps right but, you know it is uh it's definitely come come a long ways that's what there was to work with at that time you know probably but yeah it is amazing how things have changed obviously you know i've only been in it now for probably 10 years and it, it's changed drastically um, ever since I've been in it, but I can only imagine. So you kind of cut your teeth on technology, right? Yep. Um, what kind of stuff do you, do you think is out there right now that farmers are missing out on? Maybe they don't know what's out there or, um, they're not using it enough. Um, what do you think that would be? It's a good question. I'm not really sure. Um, I wish that all manufacturers would follow exactly ISO protocols. Yeah. Um, for the VT stuff, you know, everything is so different and you're never going to change that. But, um, you know, as far as rate controllers go, um, you know, rate controller really hasn't changed too much. I don't know if it would really be on the sprayer side. I would have to probably go with, uh, I, even though that I don't like to plant fast, you look at speed tubes. Yes. Um, you know, not necessarily for speed, but for placement. Um, 
to get rid of that ricochet that's in the seed tube or to help deliver that seed down to the ground at a more accurate, you know, um, delivery, I guess. But I think that would be an, one of the top things is not, not, no, not necessarily to get it for the speed, but just to get it for accuracy of seeding. Right. Um, you know, it, everybody talks about planters, you know, they talk about downforce, they talk about this. They, they, I think there's some importance there, but I would love to see um, actually what your ROI is over that. You know, you pay $30,000 to get a downforce system um, and it does a better job, you know, as far as keeping your ground contact and everything else. But what does that actually equate over to yield? Right. Um, it, I would love to see what those numbers would be. I know there's been studies done. Um, a lot of people have talked about different things and yeah, um, they're out there and there's a lot of different opinions, but yeah, that would definitely, I think would be very interested to know what that actually is. Right. Um, instead of just bipartisan opinions. Yeah. There, of course, the planner is something that you could spend endless amount of dollars on. You know, mm-hmm. they, I mean, there there is something for every every little piece on it, and uh, we we sell a lot of things for planners, but we like to keep it ROI. ROI is our number one. You know, if we're selling something for a planner, um, it has to pay. Whether it's infro fertilizer, two by two closing wheels, row cleaners, vice, whatever it is. And uh, I'm a big ROI guy. It's got to pay because I need that guy to, to call me back and tell me, man, that thing made a huge difference on my stand or on my yield. So I'm with you on the ROI stuff. The speed tubes, that's something that hit, hit me probably in the last three months. Like I worked on a planter up in northern Ohio probably a week or so ago, 24-0, high speed with speed tubes. And... Um, I agree. I mean, that speed tube, how it just puts the seed down like an elevator. It, it gets in the the hairs, I guess you could say, of the belt, and it just spits it right out. I mean, you you couldn't put seeds in the ground any more accurately with your hands in a tape measure. Yep. I mean, it, it's incredible. I agree. I mean, then you also there's another company out there that uh, is not in the United States. Um, they have moved to Canada now, but it's called Vodderstad, and uh, they're using air to deliver the seed to the ground. So they're pressurizing the seed tube. It's a little tiny seed tube. It's only half inch in diameter. I almost take it to like my kids, you know, making a little wet, taking their straws out of their, at the restaurant and making spitballs or like what we used to probably do in school. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's using that pressurized air to force the seed down. So there's other methods out there too. That's not just a belt or a, um, I guess they're both considered belts or a brush. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's delivering that seed in a more precise manner, I think is important. Yeah. Yeah, and I talked to that guy. He had uh, he had some seed in boxes there the other night, and he wanted to test out his planter. And so they put seed in at like 5.30 in the afternoon, and they just went out and kind of ran the planter, make sure it was good. Well, before they went to bed that night, they got 150 acres planted with 24-0 high speed, you know, just yep. kind of toying around. Right. Most people would be tickled to do that in a couple of days or, you know, I mean – Obviously, maybe not that long, but still, he did that in a few hours. Yep. I mean, the ability to do that, especially we talked earlier about the window that we're going to be planting at. So, sure, we don't have to plant corn at eight miles an hour, mm-hmm. but what if you could? That's right. I mean. <laughs> yeah, if, if you, it's nice to have that option, too. Um, 
you know, like I think Vodderstad actually owns the world record. If you look it up, uh, they planted 1500 acres in 24 hours, I think. Oh really? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Um, it's a pretty cool little video. If you want to, anybody can Google it online. I just, I just know that because I had to work with them in Canada, but, um, interesting. It's, it's definitely kind of neat to see that it's a company that nobody knows of around here, but, um, I don't know. It's, um, other technology. I think one of, I think one of the things that we, we kind of talked, touched on this earlier too, is that when it comes to whether if it's side dressing or if it's a two by two system on your planer, um, as an industry, we do a pretty poor job at creating systems that does to be that accurate, that it really needs to be, or should be to become that efficiency. Um, I think that's something that definitely could be not only it really needs to be developed um, to become more accurate. Yeah. And you're talking, dive into that a little deeper. Um, I just, you know, if you have a system that's able to get a COV or your variance less than 5%. Oh, sure. Uh, for row a, by row variance. Yeah. Row by row variance. Yeah. You know, of that liquid system. Yeah. Um, or to be able to have a, a robust, um, playback system be able to tell you what each row is doing okay yep you know you everybody says they want to have row by row notification what's happening yes um and the next question is is that how soon do we need to control control fertilizer and a two by two or side dress application um on a row by row basis how soon is that going to happen and you know i my personal opinion once again is the fact that uh it's not necessary until we get a yield monitor that does a row by row yield monitoring because a yield monitor if you got a 12 row head corn head that's 30 foot it updates what once a second i think so you're looking at a 30 foot by 30 foot block is what you're actually looking at when right. you look at your yield maps it's not on a row by row basis you can pull in your you know fly a drone over and look at different things in a year but you're not really going to know your payback because you're very broad in when you do your yield monitoring unless if you do something special you're different we harvest one row at a time or right something of that nature but um yeah i mean that's that's where i i don't see the row by row flow control being that important until we have something to justify it right um but i do think it's important to know when a row is plugged yeah you know you I think it is important to have something that's maybe tells you when you're 20% off or 30% off. Yeah. So that way, you know, maybe you will stop. But then the reality of it is, you know, if you got your red balls right now and you turn around and you're planting, you look back and you see that row number five balls a little bit lower than the others. Do you stop? No. No. You just keep going and you just let that one row suffer because it's not that important. And maybe it should be. Right. Um, maybe you should figure out why that one row is not flowing as much. Right. So I think if we had something to be able to tell you, you know, if there was something out there to be able to tell you when you was off by 20% or maybe it was just zero and a hundred percent, but there's I, the flow meters that are out there now, you know, to be able to, you know, flow sense from precision planning and stuff like that, that stuff is vital. Um, but they do have a big variance of the, any, any turbine flow meter has a variance. Right. And, uh, that's where I think that we, somebody needs to develop something that's going to be able to do a better job of that and then do a better job of applying you know you get like you said high speed planters yeah um with a small window eight miles an hour you got your orifice that you planned out for this two by two system yep it's sized for six and a half miles an hour because that's what you want to plant now you want to plant eight you're going to under apply 
unless you go out and you figure out your new orifice that you want to put down. Right. So it'd be nice to have a system on there that would be able to easily adapt over to higher speeds. Right. Yeah, you know, they've got the variable rate orifices and stuff, but they don't cover a big window. I actually talked to a guy yesterday that wanted those on his applicator, and they didn't go that high, and so we couldn't use them. But I I know what you're saying. Um, I I mean, I I talked to every farmer I I have dealt with in the last year, and it's a lot of them. If, If I could provide them a solution that was row by row monitoring easily, you know, uh, an efficient and, and very good way of doing that and then a row by row control um, instead of sections just do row by row and and just do everything down to the row with liquid fertilizer i think they would all be game for it i agree with you i mean you look at um, um i was fortunate enough when we when i first started with capstan um, i was able to go visit uh, some haggies that had nitrogen toolbars in the front yep and uh, we would put Pinpoint LF on them, which is our liquid fertilizer system with Pinpoint. So we had individual row shutoff. And uh, these research places wanted to be able to do 15 gallons of the acre to 60 gallons of the acre of side dress. That was their window they wanted to run in. On the fly. On the fly. And, um, you know, 50 to 60 is a big, big window. Um, now, they had to drive slow to be able to hit 60 gallons of the acre just because of the system. Right. But... Um, we were able to do that in three seconds to go from extreme to one extreme to the other. Now I asked them, please do not set up your plots to have one 15 gallons of the acre next to 60. Right. Give us a little bit more time, but um, that's what Capstan's LF system is able to do. It's able to hit that bigger variable window to be able to run at different speeds. Um, just, I believe that, you know, if we, ha- it needs to get better and, uh, Hopefully we can work on something to get that done. Yeah, yeah. The and and the fertilizer prices are going to drive that. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, the the uh, drive to grow 200, 250 bushel corn with maybe a third of the inputs that we're using today. How do we do it? And I think it goes back to what you said, and that's maybe feeding each seed individually, um, and just giving every seed what it needs. I mean. Um, I, I, like I said, I think the technology is close to getting out there. Um, you know, being where you're at technology, you know, growing up, um, heavy in technology, um, what's your spring going to look like? You know, when planters start rolling, are you just running around servicing, uh, small issues or, you know, what are you doing? For the most part, I'm going to be there to support the people who's going around and take care of small issues. Okay. Um, I'll be there to support uh, whether if it's a dealer for Capstan or if it's our field marketer for Capstan that's going out and they're taking care of their dealers, whoever it may be. But I'll be there to support them and um, kind of coming out if I need to. Uh, we're also doing a bunch of trials this year with the different growers. So I'll be doing some field visits and farm visits with those guys Okay. Uh, to just be able to help promote try to figure understand our product a little bit better get it out there for people then to have data you know that's important for people to be able to see it's hard for people to believe that if you can cut your overall gallons per acre down and keep your concentration the same but your overall gallons per acre down and you're going to maintain the same yield right um that's hard for people to swallow sometimes right so yeah yeah when you're used to purchasing x amount of gallons filling up that storage tank and now you're going to tell them they can just fill it halfway full 
and your yeah. your grain bin is going to be equally as full as it was last year. Yeah. That that is hard to swallow. Yep. But that is pretty impressive. Um, that that can be done on average. Let's say a guy's got a 16 row planter and and he wants to do the inferro injection system. What's a ballpark something like that runs? 16 row planter. Um, we've had uh, with the market and stuff today. I would say we're probably pushing around 20, 26 to 27,000 this range. Um, but that would include the pump and everything. Sure. So if you had some of that stuff already, then it would drop a little bit. But um, somewhere around that mark would probably be pretty, pretty close. Um, in, in today's world, that's not a lot of fertilizer. No, it's not. It's not. That can that can add up pretty quick. So. And what kind of pumps do you prefer? I prefer a hydraulic centrifugal pump, personally. Yeah. Um, I think you have better control. Uh, we'll control that pump with a PWM valve. Yeah. Um, we provide an ACE pump is what we provide in our kits if you want to go through us sure. to get the plumbing stuff. But uh and then we buy a brand hydraulic PWM valve that controls yep. that motor. And, um, well, you like to think, I, I make the comparison for Select Shot as like a high pressure fuel rail, except not high pressure. Um, and we're, each row is an injector and each row is a cylinder. And that seed is telling our, our injector when to open to inject the product. Right. And then we maintain that high pressure fuel rail or that, that hose going across the toolbar for a planter. And we keep that at, you know, 25 30 psi right hmm. so I, I think you have better control over over that um we do use electric pumps as well um for smaller planters um we've actually used a, there was a guy out in idaho last year i think he was in idaho um he was a 48 row planter on 10 inches hmm. um so we went with electric pumps on him and it really comes down to no matter what you're doing if it's select shot or not select shot you know your electric pumps are good to five gallons a minute yeah. Anything, you know, for your total volume of your planer, anything over five gallons a minute, you probably need not to go with electric pumps. Yeah. So. I like electric pumps. Um, we use them in furrow quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, pretty cost effective and sure they won't last forever, but I mean, um, for what they are, throw one on the shelf and you're good to go. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're, it's a good delivery method. I mean, it, you can take an electric pump, put an orifice in and get up a decent amount of product relatively inexpensive. Right. And be, you know, easily change out that pump for $300 every year, every two years, whatever it lasts. Right. So, I mean, it, it's a good system. It's just I think you can get better control with a centrifugal pump than you can with um, electric pump. We know I've, we've used diaphragm pumps. Um, we use, we really don't like piston pumps because they're too hard to control. You have too much variable and it just keeps building up pressure for positive displacement. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. When it comes to control, I, I definitely hydraulic centrifugal is the best way option for me. And if you're doing low flows, um, you can almost take a centrifugal pump and just run it and then do a bypass servo yep. and dump what you don't need back into the tank. You get better control dumping off what you don't need than you do to restrict it for what you do need Yeah, for an inline servo. Right. Um, you know, Capstan has always been cutting edge and coming out with stuff first. What's what's on Cap Stan's mind right now? What what's the future? I would say that uh, you know, our, first of all, we're working on releasing Pinpoint Three. Um, Pinpoint Three is um, we, we've got a few beta systems out this year that's working on uh, um, various models of you know whether it be a Heggie or Miller case or Rogator. Um, we've got a few models out there that we're testing the system on or getting them out there. 
Um, and it, what's different, Pinpoint 3 is going to be, um, we are the rate controller. We no longer need to have a mm -hmm. rate controller to tell us what to do. Um, it is ISO bus, it is a task controller. Um, so I think that's a big important thing. Um, I was able to run the system quite a few times here so far, and I can honestly say I've never failed so miserably to try to get a sprayer to come off rate. Um, each pulse is on rate. And, um, you know, like my target rate was 15 through speed changes, shutting off individual nozzles. You know, I was able to hold from 14.8 to 15.2 was my rate range that I ran in through wow. going from zero to 20 miles an hour. Wow. Um, zigzagging at 20 miles an hour in and out of an applied area, just, you know, putting it through the test. Right. Right. And, uh, that's all the variance I got was a half a gallon to the acre. Wow through all that so pretty excited to see that stuff um come out and get developed and then to be you know now that we are the rate controller and we're not dependent on somebody else and go through the iso i think it's important as well so that sprayer technology could something like that be pushed over into like liquid application side dress i think so i think that uh you know i i don't know exactly what uh everything that's going to be coming out but i know that we do have you know we're working on some stuff to for planters and toolbars to be get a better system out there. Sure. To be, have a better delivery system. So yeah. Rate controllers are, you know, there's several of them out there and I think each one has their ups and downs. Um, right now it's just the ability to get one. Yeah. <laughs> That's about anything. Yeah. Um, but I think it would be cool to have a system that is the rate controller the row by row flow monitor and everything top to bottom because today you know i'm i'm putting a call it a raven rcm on an applicator and then i'm doing a wilger uh flow monitor on the red balls and then obviously doing a flat orifice um so you've got all these different things if you could just sell a guy one thing plug into iso port one time and it's everything that would be sweet. Yeah. I, simple, simple, right? Kiss, right. The kiss syndrome or, you know, keep it simple, stupid. And, right. Um, I, I definitely think that is something that, you know, could be coming soon and, um, be able to make it you know, easier for people to be able to use. I think is, it would be a great thing to have. Yeah. Um, you know, the rate controllers that are out there, you know, via apply HD from precision planning, it's a great product. Um, and to be able to put that on a toolbar is it's expensive. Yeah. You know, especially you want to go to each individual row. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, you can run two, three, four rows off of one via by HD module. Um, and it does exactly what you're saying. You get that, you know, it's worth it. If you got a 40 foot toolbar and sure. you break it down into 10, four, 10, four, 10 foot sections. Yeah. You know, that definitely is better than one 40 foot section or two 20 footers. So, right. Um, I definitely, there's, that stuff has brought the, you know, up from just being a regular standard flat rate controller. Um, and you're right, their rate controllers are not equated, not created equal, right? I mean, there's pluses and minuses to every system out there. Um, Raven definitely has had a lot of experience in the past and they have, they have definitely have a rate controller that's easier to tune and make it work, you know, better. Um, but it all depends what you want from it too. So there's other companies out there that makes a good rate controller that you might get more information from yeah or just works better on your farm so sure so if if the new pinpoint three has got its own rate controller what do you do with like a 
2022 Hagee that's integrated John Deere with a RC2000 in it? Right now, nothing. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Unfortunately, at this point in time, there's um, Pinpoint 3 was not, we have not tackled the path of putting it on a 2022 Hagee at this yeah. point in time. Got it. So you're, you're looking at machines that aren't integrated. Yep. Maybe came from the factory with uh, uh, Raven invisio or something like that that's right well even the iso platform okay um you know like um if it's got iso capable machine then that's what we're kind of focusing on right now got it okay deer's a special animal yeah yeah i mean they they hide that stuff in there real well and Mm -hmm. tie into that can wire that's hidden up in the roof or i mean yeah i don't know what magic they do but they do some magic they work very hard at making it very hard yes they do Yes, they do. I wonder how many guys they got in there sitting right now just figuring out ways to keep <laughs> people from doing that. Probably more than we'd want to know. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's definitely quite amazing. Of course, we deal with that a lot with our cover crop box and stuff that's going on Hagee machines because mm-hmm. we have a rate controller. And in the past, we run our rate controller to a separate display. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got their 2630 or Gen 4, and then we throw one in there with it. Well, they want to map and do auto sections, and the, their uh, Gen 4 is already doing it. So, And then there's an RC2000 under the cab. Why can't we just tie into that? Because it, it can do dry. We've tried. Um, we had a guy in southern Ohio tackle it um, probably about two months ago. So they tied into the CAN system, and so hopefully we can do more of that right right it's i know that they're just everything's changing all the time you know and you yes. know it's they have um i really don't know a whole lot about it to be honest with you i just know that they do some things to be able to make it very difficult because it's got to show up on the cam network that it's a sprayer and if it doesn't do that then it won't work right so yeah for the 2022s um so yeah it, it definitely makes it difficult yeah yeah and then you know, they've got the exact apply now on the new sprayers, and we're working on putting our Y-drop toolbar on the new sprayers. And the big question was, you know, does our toolbar now, which is, ba- you know, it's an NTB bar, but for Y-drops, um, does it have to be exact apply too to get that thing to run? Yeah, I and, don't know. And so we're, we're going to find out real soon. Yeah, <laughs> whether you want to or not. <laughs> right. Yeah. So... But, uh, so yeah, it sounds like Capstan is going to be, uh, releasing some products in the near future that are going to be pretty sweet that guys are excited about. Yeah, I think so. I think we see what, you know, the market needs and looks like, and I think we've got some ideas that's floating around that we might be able to make things a little bit better for everybody. And, um, you know, with, the our Swath Pro coming out for planes and being able to do some stuff for the aerial application and, um, the orchard product that we are started to release for that too you can check that on the website too for being able to adjust uh, what you're doing basically by a profile for an air blast sprayer mm. um, some pretty neat stuff so definitely a fun company to work for and definitely a lot of I've learned I working for Hagee for seven years I thought I knew a lot about sprayers yeah um, I didn't know anything yeah uh, when it comes to application I mean uh, definitely learned a lot coming to Capstan and um, just to learn application you know it at the end of the day, what all we're trying to do is, like I said earlier, we're trying to take two five-gallon buckets and e- equally spread it across an acre. Right. That's literally a sprayer's job. Yeah. 
and uh, we're just here to make that coverage come out better so that way it's equal all the way across that that acre. Right. How many people are at Capstan? Uh, I think we got about 60 to 70 employees. Wow. Um, something okay. like that. Okay. Um, More than I would have guessed. Yeah, we have, well, we manufacture our own harnesses. Um, so we have a lot of our own manufacturing facility out there in Topeka. And then um, with our field representation that we have. Yep. Yep. I see. Adds up pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Capstan being on the cutting edge, who's the main driver in a lot of this stuff? Who comes up with the ideas and puts them into, you know, when, when you look at 360, you had Greg Souter. You know, when you look at um, different companies, you had, there's kind of a guy. Who, who's the guy at Capstan? There's several. Yeah. Um, it's not just one. Um, Jeff Grimm, which is our uh person in charge, I guess, more than anything else. Yeah. Um, he's been here since the beginning. Um, our owner is Graham Henderson, uh, a private owner, and he's worked with Jeff, you know, 20 some, uh, 27, 28 years ago and okay. helped develop, you know, the sharpshooter, the pressure control system. Yep. And, uh, Jeff's still here, still working on stuff and it's got a lot of crazy ideas and, uh, we've added some more people and more tools around him to help expand that with newer stuff and whether it's Bluetooth or, um, we have a lot of good guys out there that's really, really smart. Yeah. Um, that's able to make our products better. Yeah. Just having the right people yep. is what's huge. For sure. Gotcha. Um, when when guys are scrolling through um, the internet looking looking for things to add to their planner and they come across Capstan, um, what is it that you want to come to their mind when they see the Capstan name? A different way of thinking. A different way of thinking yeah just let's go to that like you said earlier let's go to that per seed basis let's go to that just a better application more precise yes um, being more efficient you know those are the things let's let's help your bottom line let's not let's not go down to the coffee shop and break about 300 bushel to the acre yeah let's go down to the coffee shop and break break about i made a thousand dollars an acre last year right you know let's kind of just change that and let's help you do that i see that's the biggest thing is that uh, Capstan's always done in the past is education. Um, being able to teach people what they're doing, why they're doing it. Um, I'll go back to my Heggy days when I was working. I went to a co-op one time and not to badmouth them by any means, but the operator didn't know what gallons per acre meant. Yeah. You know, um, they do have a bad reputation about having operators that aren't the best, you know, but uh, that was definitely eye-opening, you know, for me. I, why would you have somebody that doesn't know what gallons per acre means? Right. Um, and I'm sure he's probably not working there anymore. But, you know, it, at the end of the day, there is a lot of people out there that don't understand speed and pressure. They don't understand flow control. You know, I, well, I'm giving a presentation, and I'll ask you this. What creates pressure in a sprayer? Basically, over the overpumping. You know, your pump's putting out more than what you're calling for. Like right. at like an orifice is creating the back pressure. It's resistance to flow. Yeah. Yeah, that's what creates pressure is resistance to flow. Your pump doesn't. And a lot of people think the pump is what creates pressure. Yep. A pump doesn't. A pump creates flow. Yep. Whatever you have after that. At the tip or. Yeah. The, like, like your number tip. Yeah. Like the four number. or six or. Exactly. Um, that creates resistance to flow, which in turn creates pressure. Hose size. Um, three quarter inch hose compared to one inch hose or. You know that has a different coefficient of resistance to pressure to where it's going to flow more or less based upon that so right 
that's what that's what creates pressure is resistance to that flow that the pump creates um a lot of people you know it's learning getting we, we were taught this probably back in school but right. we kind of forget that stuff right and, yeah um but it, that's where i think capstan can really do some uh, really does and has focused on the past is education about application in general just flow dynamics sure and being able to help people do a better job of applying a product so in most systems you know like when i'm doing a planner or a side dress rig on a planner i shoot for 25 psi okay on a side dress rig i'm usually 35 to 45 what do you think about that and i mean is how do you set pressures and what pressures do you run so for the select shot systems a little bit of a different animal um we typically i like to see about 20 to 25 psi for infro yeah um now what's different about that is is that when we're you know anytime you go over top of an orifice you have a pressure drop on the other side yeah um so if you're running about 25 psi and you go across that pressure drop you're going to be down to about maybe 20 22 we're not really dropping a whole lot of pressure to our orifice because it's rather large um but then when you get to like a typical dribble system and it keeping firmer you're running 25 psi you're running through such a small orifice to get that flow down yeah now you're about five psi coming out you're keeping firmer at that point in time yep. just because you have such a big pressure drop and i think that's one thing that's different about capstan select shot is we have a higher pressure that's coming out the tip but that also can hurt you because then you could you know if you get up to 35 40 psi of furrow, now you have too much pressure coming there creating splatter and such um but when it comes to you know any system anything that it doesn't matter if it's a tip it doesn't matter if it's a pump doesn't matter if it's a flow meter any standards that you see on anything is based upon 40 psi um that any publications so when you're looking at stuff you know is that 40 psi the best mark since that's where everything's been tested at that's that wouldn't make sense that makes common sense um sprayer wise a lot of people run in between 30 and 50 sometimes 60 um, but if you're doing fungicide or something like that, you want to get up 70, 80 to get the smaller droplet. Right. Um, but yeah, as far as planters and stuff go for infurrow, you're down to about that 20, 25 PSI typically, or 30 or 40 for two by two. On the sprayer systems where you're doing the pulsing, mm -hmm. what's the idea behind the pulsing? Why not just run a steady stream like we always used to? Sure. So the reason we pulse is that we're we're pulsing 10 times a second it does not matter how fast you go that's our hertz or how many times we're opening and closing this 10 times a second so by being able to pulse or being able to turn those off and on now we're able to control the amount of flow or amount of back pressure that we have that resistance to flow we were just talking about so if we're open longer in that second then we have less resistance to flow we can get more flow out and we can get you know that way we can adjust our pressure independent from rate that's what it does now one thing that's nice about capstan is is that we are not they are not all pulsing at once all the odds pulse at one time and all the evens pulse at one time so we have a blended pulse technology so that way you do not have any skips um and you can run through your point rows and such or what have you so that way they're you know with a 15 inch spacing you have a 110 degree angle you have you know those are you don't have to worry about skips i see so it pulses so that you can adjust 10 times a second. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you were stagnant with a standard Raven 2123 cal valve, it would 
only be able to control once every three seconds. Yeah, I have no idea what their update rate is. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then you got you know you're expecting that one valve to control the flow for 97 nozzle bodies or right. even a 60 foot boom. You know, if I don't know what that would be, uh, 50 nozzle bodies probably. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're looking instead of having one controlling point, you have 50 controlling points. I see. Um, but yeah, we're the pulsing it's more there for pressure control. So we, on our, on all of our displays, we'll show you our duty cycle. Our duty cycle is correlates over to how long we're open in that 10th of a second. So if you're at 85% duty cycle, then you're at, we're open for 85% of the time. And that 10th of a second or 85% of a, of a whole second, just 10, 10 little pieces. I see. Um, so in that 85% duty cycles, typically where you like to see a sprayer run at. So that way, you know, let's, let's be honest if a guy comes up to you and says hey we're going to spray at 14 miles an hour there's going to be times he's going to get 16 um because there's that one right. field that you can go a little bit faster in yeah so if we're going to size out our tips we're going to size them about 85 to 90 percent duty cycle is where we want them to run at majority of the time and then that way when they get that little bit higher area then or faster area in the field they can jump up and not not hit 100 and they can get it to 100 percent then secondly as they start to make turns with turn compensation um being able to have that big basement to drop into as you're going around on the inside so you're not over, you know, putting 10 times the rate on the inside of the boom. Sure. That's where you have that bigger basement to run in when you're doing that. That's why we typically like to see that 85 to 90% duty cycle when we size the tips up to work with somebody. I see. Very interesting. Yep. So it, it's it's all about accuracy and, and doing less product per acre. Yeah. Again. Yep. Less product, you know, it's... You look at a conventional sprayer, and uh, I'm sure everybody does this. I'm going to go out and spray 100 acres, um, 10 gallons of the acre. So 10 times 100, I need 1,000 gallons. Right. Um, but what do we put into the tank to be able to cover that? 1,100? Yeah. 1,150? Mm-hmm. You know, we put an extra 100 to 150 gallons in there to compensate for, you know, the, these in, inefficiencies that we have in a, in a rate controller. Right. Um, now, along came section control help that out some by breaking a 60 foot boom up into three sections or whatever it may be that's help that does help um individual nozzle control helps out you know just breaks it into more of a finer resolution right um but turn compensation you know that that's a whole different ball game there because now you're you're able to get a better application on the inside of your boom when you're going around um but just not even that just going to electronic shutoff so you look at a standard sprayer that's got a t-jet nozzle body on it with a yellow cap on it right that's mm-hmm. it's a drip check mm-hmm. so once you shut off your master switch your ball valve shut off that whole boom is going to go down to your drip check pressure yep so if you're spraying at 40 psi now your boom is at 10 psi when you shut off so when you turn it back around in your headland and come back out not only do you have to get your pumps pulled back up and get back up to where you're at but now you got to fill the whole boom back up a product right and by add an electronic shutoff on to each nozzle body now that boom stays at 40 psi so now you're on to get the rate time is less because you're keeping the whole system at a higher pressure sure as soon as it starts spitting it out it's at the desired pressure yep interesting that there's a lot more to sprayers than a lot of guys know yeah yeah no question you know and there there's becoming more and more people that's buying their own sprayers and uh, yes. to be able to do their own job yes um, whether it be logistics or 
um, be just being able to go out and do it when they want to do it. Right. The time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I know there's several growers that's got two sprayers, one for corn and one for beans. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's, I think as you see these, you know, bigger farm corporations are going to be becoming more prevalent as we go forward. Um, the bottom line is going to become more important and, uh, whatever you can do to save, to be able to make that business more profitable is essentially what we're doing. Sure. And then over on the anhydrous side, you're quite a bit different too. So a Raven standard AccuFlow or now Vortex cooler basically cools the anhydrous down to a liquid so that a flow meter, turbine flow meter can read it. And then as soon as it leaves that system, it's turning chemical states again and that's how you're getting to the gas. And um, how is the capstan different than going to liquid and then back to gas or how, how is it different than maybe a standard raven system so our manifold what we do is is that we our manifold cools it so it goes to liquid to be metered as well how does it get how does it cool it so the manifold itself um it's got a big cavity on the inside yep and then as you meter your product it goes up the edges and then as it goes through that orifice it becomes super cooled so that it automatically cools the new anhydrous coming back into that manifold. Um, so that's a, is that a little bit different than the Raven too? Yes. Yeah. Um, but when you get to a flow meter, a flow meter will still turn if it's gas or liquid. Right. So it doesn't matter. And that's when you can see a lot of streaking in the field or something like that is because that flow meter that was seeing liquid is now seeing some gas and it still thinks it's putting on the same rate, but it's not. Yeah. Um, so that is... That is one thing that is, you know, a little bit different where we, we're calculating a flow. We don't actually measure the flow as through a turbine meter. Uh, we take it off our duty cycle and in our pressures. Um, but then that you're right, you know, where our cooler is our manifold and then each row is individually metered. Um, but we can also put something else in front of it called Envision. And we can put Envision in front of, <clears throat> excuse me, any rate, any cooler system, it does not matter. Um, what Envision does is that it gives you a glimpse of what's happening in your system. So we got a float valve that's um, sitting on top of the, your liquid. And when that liquid starts to drop down or that, that float starts to drop down, then we can strip the vapor head off and put it down into, you know, um, extra tubes that go down behind your knife for your vapor tubes. Yep. Um, and then we can pull that liquid back up. So now we guarantee to have a liquid going back to your distribution system whether if it's raven or capstan it doesn't matter continental we can work with that in front of anything so then you'll see how hard the envision is working by a little display in the cab i see and then if let's say you're up to 400 percent, so we'll have four valves pulsing to get rid of that vapor head then you are um, either out of product or maybe you're going too fast your tank pressure is low so you need to slow down you're going uphill you're down to a third of a tank left and you're going up the hill. So all that liquid just went to the back of the tank. Yep. And your system is now not putting on as much because it thinks that it's doing it, but it's not. Um, this allows to strip that vapor head off to be able to get a better, better product to your distribution system. I see. And when that product is sitting inside of that anhydrous tank, it's in what chemical state? Inside the Envision? No, inside the anhydrous tank. The tank, it's well, it's liquid, but yeah. then it's a mixture of liquid and gas. What do you think that is inside there, roughly? The mixture, 70 30? Full. Yeah. Yeah. And then as it gets empty, it becomes more gas. More gas than liquid, yep. Yeah. And so as soon as it's losing pressure, 
out of that tank into your uh, Raven cooler, it's trying to turn back to a gas, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Which is why we have to have the cooling state to keep it in the liquid form. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anhydrous is a tricky animal, and there's a, if we don't understand sprayers, there's there's a lot of us that don't understand anhydrous well enough. Oh, for sure. And I would say, you know, <laughs> you want to talk about COVID? I would say that uh, you know, my family, I've had family members that've had it a couple times, and um, I, I haven't. Um, maybe I had it. Maybe I've ingested enough anhydrous and just killed it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but uh, no, it's anhydrous is a different animal, um, you know, and it is a lost art too at the same time i mean there was a lot of anhydrous put on i remember dad doing it as a kid um i wasn't allowed to play outside when dad was putting on anhydrous right i had to stay in the house yeah um but yeah and it, you know it used to be a cheaper form of in uh, not so much anymore i don't think right but uh you know it to be able to understand it it, it is basically a freon i mean you know it's a it's a gas that's utilized to uh, you can use it to cool your house um so it's it was utilized for that at one point in time and it still might be i'm not real sure where they use it to work in some air conditioners or refrigerators i see but it's that's basically what it is it's a it is that um one thing i you know about anhydrous that i don't really understand is is that um you put it down in your in your soil and where that strip is at you just killed everything um good and bad now it'll come back quickly uh, right. But it's kind of like chemo, right? And, and cancer. you Chemo kills cells, whether good or bad. Right. And anhydrous does the same thing in the ground. And you're you're willing to do that to compensate to get that extra nitrogen in the ground. But um, you also are killing us the, the good stuff as well. Right. So that's just different compared to liquid. Yeah. It is amazing. It, it seems that corn just loves anhydrous. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I don't know what it is about it. Um, we would have to get some agronomists in here, I think, to talk to us about it, or me at least. Yep. But it seems that corn just loves it. Yep. And and that anhydrous seems to be able to be fairly mobile side to side. You know, you see guys setting up an 11-row anhydrous bar, skipping a row on the end, and it seems like it bleeds through. I've got guys doing 60-inch centers with anhydrous hmm. and never seeing a streak in their field. How does that happen? I that's a good question. I, I mean, I would like to know that too. It would never happen with liquid. No, would it? I don't think so. Um, I mean, liquid's mobile, but I don't think it's that mobile. Right. It's yeah. something about the anhydrous that allows it to stretch left to right. Yep. And I've got a guy just south of here in Greenville. He's been doing 60 inch centers for as long as I've been selling because mm -hmm. he bought it early on. So eight, 10 years and he's, you won't see a streak in his field. That's, <laughs> interesting product I, yeah i don't i don't know how how that works if someone out there listening knows uh i'd, I'd love for you to describe it to me because yeah. it, it's it is an amazing product but it like you said it's a lost art and it's something that's dying in my opinion um sure we still sell plenty of anhydrous stuff here but we sell a ton more liquid today yeah it's people not knowing how to handle it like you like we said it's a lost art um availability you know you got plants that are shutting down right um you're not able to get it there's parts of the country that probably can't even get in hydras now yeah unless you're going to pull it in yourself you know it's a graphic grower's location um you know there's there's a lot of that i think that plays in a big part of and, and decisions being made liability yep um what was that up by chicago or something a couple of years ago yeah up in illinois i think they had that big you know leak or yep. tank or 
whatever happened there is that liability there and it it is dangerous i mean it can hurt you pretty yeah. bad too yeah and when when you've got the next generation stepping in it seems that the, that's when they start going liquid you know and like you said the co-ops they they with regulations they're having to invest a lot of money to keep anhydrous around mm-hmm and then they have to ask themselves, is that investment worth it? And so I think that's where you're seeing a lot of it is that the co-op that used to carry it just doesn't want to make the investment. Let's just store liquid and be done. And so now the farmer, he can, he has to make the decision. I can either store it on my farm liability or I can go liquid. And a lot of guys just choose to go liquid, I think. It's easier to manage. Yeah, a lot easier. Yeah, um, yeah I think... Uh, you know, we, we've covered a lot of stuff um, here so far this morning. Um, what what do you see, you know, I, I asked about the technology, but technology aside, you know, beans are, I don't know what they're at right now. They're moving 30 cents either way every day. So call it $16 and, and corn seven and a half. You know, we built the business on three and $4 corn, mainly $3 corn. Uh, this is the longest it's been over 390 since we've been in business how have you seen things change over the last 12 months from fertilizer prices to the higher grain prices we're in a weird time right now and what what are you seeing that's different and what do you think is in the near future that wasn't there 12 months ago um that's a loaded question so you're right you're fertilizer prices inputs are going up fuels going up seeds going up everything's going up um so is the corn prices but i think the only thing that's doing is that you're playing with more money yeah you know your bottom line is not going to change a whole lot you know you may have you know 12 months ago 24 months ago your corn prices was at four dollars a bushel but it didn't cost near as much to put it in the ground right um so i don't I don't really foresee the economic side of thing changing a whole lot besides more cash flowing through in and out of your hands. Yeah. Um, the bottom line isn't going to change much. Um, but what that is potentially could do is, is that, uh, it can make people want to become better at applying products, um, or planting seeds. You know, is this field really worth 34,000 seeds to the acre? Can I drop it down to 30,000 be able to get a similar yield? Sure. You know, if I reduce that by 5% and I can only lose 2% of my bushels, yeah. what, what if I do that? Um, you look at soybeans. You know, everybody used to plant, you know, I remember as a kid, 180, 200 seeds to the acre, right? Right. Um, I'm playing at 130 now. Yeah. So, you know, it's that's a lot less seeds per acre. That's a lot less money you're putting down. Yeah. Um, now, instead of investing that, you know, instead of pocketing that cash, maybe you invest into a product that you could put a full year feed on. Or you put an inoculant on a seed, get it treated or something. And now all of a sudden that it equates into something different. So your in, your input still might be the same, but now if you can get a better output, a higher yield because you put more into it, it might be a different way of looking at it or to add that fungicide to it later on in life. Um, I think there's a lot of things that people are going to start looking into in different products. You know, we have, we live in a great time because the, there's so much information at our fingertips. Right. Um, and there's so much stuff that's being developed. Uh, I think we're getting a better understanding of our soils. I think we're getting a better understanding of how plants pick up nutrients. Um, we're getting a better understanding of how 
plants what they do with those nutrients. You know, you look at the, the corn college. I've been fortunate enough to go to Ken Ferry's corn college out there in Illinois. And some of the stuff that he's done and the research he's done to be able to understand a corn plant better. Um, I learned a lot from that, being able to go out there. Um, you know, and there is a lot of this stuff that's being done. Um, University of Kentucky, Auburn, Mississippi State, you see a lot of these in Purdue University, Ohio State, a lot of these colleges out there are starting to do more and more studies about fertilizers and about how to manage crops better. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of information coming in the next few years about what they're learning. Yeah. And how and how a plant picks up products. You know, you look at phosphorus. Um, from my understanding, I'm not an agronomist, but from my understanding, it has to be within a millimeter of a root before it'll be picked up. Right. It's a very immobile nutrient. Um, you know, and no-till, great, great uh, way of doing planting crops and stuff, but uh, you're not turning that dirt over ever. So all your phosphorus is staying in the top two to three inches of your soil profile. Um, what if that equates into more phosphorus run off into Lake Erie? Um, or what if that's causing problems more than it's helping? Right. Cover crops. You have all that dead vegetation that's laying on top of the soil. Yep. As it starts to break down, what if that's causing different things to run off? It may not be nitrogen. It might be some other thing that's an adverse effect of planting that. Right. Um, it's a great way to keep your soil there so it doesn't erode. Um, but, you know, there's always cause and effects for everything. Right. And uh, what could it be causing? It, we may not know. Um, we in, in 20 years from now, we could go, why did we ever go liquid? Why did we not stick with anhydrous? You know? Mm, right. You know what? I can't believe we went to that point. But... Um, it's hard to tell what's going to happen. I, I am excited to see what these universities and people that are doing in studies to figure out how to make these plants more efficient and become better, right. better um, outputters of, of products. Right. We, we need to figure out, you know, like uh, like soybeans um, produce nitrogen. We need to breed corn to do the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you can plant soybeans in your corn. There you go. There's you know? some guys doing that. Um you know, what I find really interesting is I talked to a lot of farmers. Most of them were saying how excited they were that they locked in their nitrogen last summer, and and it's a third of the, it was a third of the cost that it is today. What happens when they have to lock it in in the summer of 2022? It's going to hurt more, <laughs> right? But and the crop price is the same. You know, let's say it's still the seven dollars, and because uh, 90 percent of the guys I've talked to locked it in before it got real crazy and now it's crazy and now they're going to have to lock it in again so you know what does that look like and i i don't i don't know that answer but i think that's going to be real interesting because guys right now are saying man i got my fertilizer bought cheap corn price is pretty good i don't know that you're going to get it bought cheap again right i don't see it going down in the next 12 months yeah you know i cross my fingers i hope it does right for me personally as well right not just for the industry but yeah um yeah i mean i it is going to be I, I think these margins are going to get tighter um 2023 is going to be a very good year for a lot of people um because of locking in lower prices lower inputs and then with where it's at now um but you never know what tomorrow brings right so it's that's why we uh have faith that put the seed in the ground we're gonna get something right yeah um Farmer's one of the biggest gamblers on it out there. That's right. Yes. Yes, that is very true. Um, I, I don't know of anything uh, else. Um, we've had a great discussion here this morning. Is there anything that you 
wanted to talk about on your drive up or as you were thinking about the podcast that we didn't, whether it's about yourself or Capstan Ag or whatever. No, not really. I think we've hit a pretty good broad spectrum. I enjoyed the conversation this morning. and um, Myself and also Capstan is great to have the invitation to be here today. Yeah. Um, been fun talking and sharing ideas and opinions. Uh, it's always fun to talk about stuff like that. Right. But uh, no, it's, I'm excited to see where the future is going to go and the technology, what it brings and how we can become more efficient and how we can make more with less people. Right. Um, you know, that's, it's going to be interesting how we're going to tackle all this stuff going forward. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at what the thirties, one farmer fed like 65 people or something. And now we're feeding 115 or whatever it is. Right. Um, I'm probably off on my numbers there, but it's still, it's been a very big increase right. and it's going to continue to get more and more dependent upon the growers out there to make uh, that steak or yes. that uh, you know that cornmeal or whatever you know the cotton you right. know peanuts um, the United States the United States is a very diverse agricultural um, place yes and uh, fortunate enough I've been able to see a little bit of everything but um, yeah it's going to be interesting to see what the future holds for United States agriculture right especially in the world we're in today. Um, you know, I we started the podcast, I don't know, probably six months ago maybe, and, you know, we have a YouTube channel where we do plenty of YouTube videos and stuff, but I wanted to do more of an in-depth conversation with people, um, industry leaders, um, people like yourself who are very knowledgeable about products, to give a recording and, and put on record that you can go back to at any time, you know? And I think it... it I really enjoy recording them and I think people enjoy listening to them. So my goal is to, in five years, you know, this is episode number 24, I think to have 500 episodes of, um, awesome conversations with industry leaders who are very knowledgeable. Yep. And so that, that's my goal. So I think this is neat. I think this is a great idea. Um, I can tell you that, you know, YouTube, I've, my daughter bought a new car the other week. Yeah. Uh, bought it herself, 16, been working, saving up, you know, bought her own car. And um, I needed to adjust the headlights. Yeah, I went on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> you it, know, it, it's out there. It so, tells us everything we need to know. Yeah, or, and more. Yes. <laughs> Stuff we don't need to know. Yeah. But, uh, well, that's all I've got for today. Uh, I really appreciate you coming up this morning and doing the podcast. And, um, yeah, it's... It's not always easy to get to get an hour of anyone's time, especially at this time of year. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. All right. Well, that's all we've got for today, guys. Thank you for tuning in.